Well, the Talmud says a really astonishing thing. I was ran across this recently. Uh, the Talmud says, it's actually in Chulin, uh, it says that um, the pagans outside of Israel are not really pagans. In other words, idol worship, real idol worship, only exists in Israel. It says, outside of Israel, these guys are just doing it because their parents did it. They're not really into it. Now, that's a pretty astounding statement because what that sounds like is that Israel, the holy land, the land of prophecy, the land where all the commandments apply, the land where all the prophets lived, the land which is the center where we, we pilgrimage to the temple, Jerusalem, the uh, place which is the gateway, the bridge between this world and the world to come. I mean, the Shara Shemayim, the, the gates of heaven, etc., etc., etc. How could we say such a thing about Israel? How could the sages say that? And there's another very interesting statement, which is actually found in the Medrash, um, in the uh, commentary, rabbinic commentary on the Song of Songs, uh, on the verse that says, I wash my feet, how can I get them dirty again? So the Talmud says that refers to the Jews in Babylon during after the destruction of the first temple. So at the time of the building of the second temple, Ezra, Ezra the scribe and Nehemiah, invited the Jews of Babylon to come to Israel, to join in rebuilding the temple, in rebuilding the land, in rebuilding Jerusalem. And you know what? Most Jews didn't come back. Only a small minority of Jews came back to the land of Israel. And that tiny minority were the dregs of the Jewish people. They were assimilated. They were ignorant. But they came back to the land of Israel with Ezra and Nehemiah. What was the excuse of the Jews who didn't come? What's their excuse? They were criticized. The Talmud criticizes. And the Talmud says that they were hated by God because they refused to come back to his land and make it possible for the divine presence to fully be manifested in Israel. But what was their excuse? Their excuse wasn't, well, we have a beautiful house and a pool and, you know, and uh, people push on the buses in Israel. That was not their excuse. It wasn't something as petty and stupid as that. Their excuse was that we washed our feet. How can we get it dirty? So this is what the Midrash says. We washed our feet of the idol worship and of sins that we had. If we go back to Israel, we're scared that we'll get dirty again, meaning we're scared that we'll become idolaters once again when we go to the land of Israel because Israel will draw us to it. So this also is a pretty shocking statement because, I mean, it's it's in keeping with the sentiment of the statement they open with that real idolatry is only in Israel. That's where it's the most intense. And, and so understand, the Jews said, look, Whatever small sins we may have here in Babylon, if we go to Israel, they'll become much worse. They'll become intense. They'll become much more intense. We don't want that. We don't risk that. Interesting. So one of the great Kabbalists, Rabbi Shaya Halevi Horovitz of Frankfurt on Main, wrote a book called The Shalah, The Two Tablets of the Law, Shnei Luchot Abrit. He says the reason for this is because Israel is not, Israel is an intensifier. It's like an image intensifier. It'll intensify. It has the nat- the nature of Israel is that it intensifies and deepens that which is spiritual. So if you have turned yourself towards the good and you, you, you hook into the stream, so to speak, of goodness, Israel will intensify that, magnify that, deepen that, and make it more passionate and more real and more meaningful. 
But unfortunately, it's also true that the idolaters were into it as well in Israel. They were passionate about it. They believed in it. They weren't just in it because their parents did it. It was something which was very, very real for them. So Israel is a place that doesn't... What we're saying here is, and it's an amazing thing, is that the land of Israel doesn't tolerate just people who are into things because of the inertia. It doesn't like people who are doing the things, even if they're the right thing. But if they're doing it because they just happened to be doing it, they were just born into it, they never thought about it, they're not, they're not passionate about it, they're not into it in a big way, then, you know what, the land of Israel doesn't like that. And it's interesting, the, Tal- the Torah in Deuteronomy, when it compares Israel to Egypt, it says, you know, the land I'm bringing to you, God says to the Jewish people, is not like the land of Egypt. In the land of Egypt, you could water your crops easily with your foot, you know, kick away a clod of earth, uh, from the side of a side of a canal, a, a small trench, and the water just pours into your garden. No big deal. Israel is not like that. The land that I'm bringing to you is a land with hard soil and with mountains and valleys. And you know what? All the all the water comes from rain. So that's an interesting way of describing the difference between Israel and Egypt. Egypt, it's easy to water the land. Israel, it's difficult. Egypt. You can just, uh, you know, you can water things just using your feet. In Israel, you've got to really think about it, work hard on it. Well, I think the answer is the same idea. Israel obligates us, right? Just by its very environment, you've got to think about the rain. You've got to think about your attachment to God. You've got to pray. It, living in Egypt, you don't really have to think about it. You can take it for granted. So it's interesting. So Chutzlaretz, the diaspora, the, air, the land outside of Israel, is a land where people can take things for granted. We take existence for granted. We take life for granted. We take the water for granted. And people can do things. Even Judaism is taken for granted. Your parents happen to teach you that way, and that's what you do. But in Israel, Israel's a land where you're not supposed to do that. Israel's, you're not supposed to do it anywhere. But especially in Israel, Israel's a place where you need and you are required to think about things. You're required to do things with passion. You're required to think about the rain. You can't take it for granted. You can't take anything for granted. Sol Bellow, in one of his books, I think it's called To Jerusalem and Back, he says that Israel is a country where everything is pretty much normal. There's only, he says, you can take everything for granted except for one thing. What's that? Existence. Can't take your existence for granted. And the truth is that's true nowadays because of the Arab hatred for us. But it was true for centuries. Not, we couldn't take existence for granted because we have to continuously look towards heaven and pray to God for rain. Just before the prophecies about exile, God says to the Jewish people that Noshan Tembaretz, you'll become old in the land. Noshan Tembaretz, you'll become old. Interesting because the Hebrew word Noshantem doesn't mean old as in an old man. It means old as in an old pair of shoes. You know, in English, we talk about old and new, young and old. So the word old, the opposite of the word old is new if you're talking about an object. You don't talk about an old man and a new man, an old woman and a new woman. You talk about an old man and a young man, an old woman and a young woman. Or you talk about old shoes and new shoes. So, therefore, in Hebrew also, the word for old, for a human, is zaken. And the word for young is tsair, which means when the Torah uses the term noshantem, you'll become old in the land, 
The terminology he uses is not the old, which is the opposite of young, but old, which is the opposite of new. And the criticism of us is that we don't have a renewal or newness. We are just worn out and getting old and taking things for granted. One of the things that Israel teaches us is don't take anything for granted. It's one of the obligations of living in Israel. I think this week we are celebrating the 60th anniversary of the State of Israel. One of the lessons we should learn, especially for those of us who have been born after Israel was established, we've grown up taking it for granted. You take it for granted. You get in a plane, you can go to Israel. You take it for granted. You can pray at the Western Wall. We take it for granted that there's hundreds of people studying Torah in the land, and thousands of people studying Torah in Israel. We take it for granted that the largest Jewish community in the world is Israel. We take it for granted that there's a Jewish army, there's a Jewish government. We take all this for granted. This is something we cannot take for granted. This is something we're obligated to thank God for continuously. We're obligated to, to, to really to, to, to pray and give our ultimate thanks to God for this because it is really something which we can't take for granted. Uh, and, and that is one of the obligations of the land of Israel, not to do things by rote, not to take things for granted, not to just go by inertia. Israel is a place that intensifies things. And it intensifies it, I believe, not just for those living there, but for those of us also who are fortunate, fortunate enough to live in a time where we can go there. It sits there and it obligates us. It obligates us to be intense, to be passionate, to think about things, not to take the Torah for granted, not to take life for granted, not to take Israel for granted, not to take anything for granted. That's it for today. Thank you very much.